Thank you for joining us for Opportunity Makers. Notch was founded by two immigrants, and ahead of National Immigrants Day, we wanted to showcase and profile storytellers and leaders across different sectors and industries to prove that immigrants, by and large, are opportunity makers, not opportunity takers. Today, we have Carla Hassan with us, who just recently was named the Chief Marketing Officer at City, where she will be tasked with using her former role as Chief Brand Officer, the brand and marketing teams at City. Carla Hassan is a C-suite executive who has been identified and recognized as a change agent, someone who leads brands and innovation strategy and delivers strong in-market results. She's a problem solver and passionate for telling diverse stories and showcasing diverse and interpersonal communications and stories for brands. So hi, Carla. Hi, how are you? So good to have you on. Um, You were the first person I pitched this idea to, and uh, I did that because you're one of the proudest immigrants I know. Um, So thank you for encouraging me to actually make it happen. And then obviously immediately I asked you for help and I asked you to be on. So thank you for agreeing to jump on and tell your story. Listen, thank you for doing this. I, 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 I just, no one else is doing this right now. And I think it's such an important narrative and an important story to tell. Um, and I, lo- I love that you have come up with this idea and want to do it. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm super supportive. Thank you. I agree. I think it's an important message for um, especially this community of marketers to send out into the world and to say how important immigrants are for a number of reasons from opportunity creation, business creation, you know, job creation, but also from a diversity standpoint. So I'm excited to jump into the conversation with you. And I actually only recently heard your coming to America story. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought it was much more typical like mine, like, oh, I came for university. But no, you have a crazy story. So let's start with that story because I would love for everyone to hear it. Yeah, well, thank you. I was uh, I was fourteen. Uh, we were visiting the U.S. with my family. We I was uh, I'm, I'm born in Lebanon and raised in the UAE. Actually, raised in Sharjah, one of the Emirates in the UAE. Um, uh, that is uh, much smaller than Dubai. Everyone knows Dubai, you know. Uh, but, but I, I, yeah, I I've never was, heard of Sharjah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what's, well, what's unique about it? So, you know, what is interesting. When I grew up in Dubai, actually, Sharjah was kind of the hub, um, or when I grew up, was growing up in the UAE, Sharjah was kind of the hub. It was sort of before Dubai ever kind of, you know, created what they created. And so a lot of people, when they moved to the UAE, went to Sharjah first. And uh, uh, now, actually, it's known a lot for arts, actually. Um, so they, 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 they do, a, like, it's kind of the... Uh, a cultural center from an art perspective, uh, and they've got some really, really amazing kind of art festivals that come to Sharjah. So it's pretty, pretty cool. But uh, but I remember, you know, we were in the U.S. It was the summer of 1990, and I was fully planning on going back to uh, going back to school um, to do my 13th grade. I was in the international baccalaureate system in an international school, and Ira uh, invaded Kuwait September of 1990, and my father decided that we were going to stay in the U.S. So we were like two weeks away from going back home to start school. And 
that was it. The decision was made that we were going to stay. And you can imagine, you know, for someone my age, um, or I had just turned 15, actually, I had just turned 15, uh, for someone my age to not be able to say goodbye to your friends, to not be able to go back home, to just kind of be plucked and put in this situation was, was really tough in and of itself. Forget everything else around it that was going on in the cultural zeitgeist. But just for me, it was a real kind of, um, it was hard, it was difficult. And I had graduated high school. uh, We can talk about that at another time and how young that was, but I had graduated high school technically, 12th grade. So I could have gone to university, uh, but my parents said, you know what, you're still a little too young. You can't do that. Like do another year of high school in the US and you know, learn how to sort of be American and all that kind of stuff before you go off to university. So there was so much going on in my head. I was really young. I was plucked out of you know saying goodbye to my friends and my home and my house and all that kind of stuff. And and then you add on the extra sort of um, layer that you know when I invaded Kuwait, it's a, it was a you know it was not a time of extreme sort of niceties towards people from the Middle East. Um, and, you know, and, and I, I wouldn't tell you that people were, uh, um, on purpose, very mean, but you know, kids, kids can be harmful with their words, even if they're not yeah. meaning it. And so, you know, they would ask me what my last name was. And I would say Zachem because that's my maiden name. And they would, you know, they'd be like, what? and they'd spit as if like, oh, you know, God. and everyone would joke and laugh and ha ha ha. And, you know, what do you do when you're trying to figure out how to be a part of that community? I heard, you know, things like, um, you know, go back to where you came from, you sand and word. Uh, there were always fun, funny jokes in the school of like, oh, don't piss Karloff because she'll go to the car and get her, you know, her bombs and her, her guns. Like, but, I, you know, were people thinking they were being funny? Sure. I mean, if I go back and talk to some of those exact same people today, they'd be like, dude, we were just joking. Chill out, you know? But I think, you know... No, it affects you. Of course. And with everything that was going on at the time, right? So you have your own stuff you're dealing with. Plus, you know, you can imagine my, my, my parents. I mean, their sort of guilt and them trying to pretend that everything's okay. But of course, you yeah. know, like that's, you know... And for them also interesting because they, you know, they left Lebanon years and years and years before. And I wouldn't say the same way, but, you know, they left Lebanon and and made a life for their entire family in the UAE and never imagined that they were going to have to be plucked and, you know, live in the, in the U S like that. So just a lot of stuff going on. And, um, but that's my, that's my first one. Where in the U S did you end up kind of landing initially? And second, how good or bad was your English? Okay, so very good question. So um, we ended up in Colorado because I had we had family there. So uh, three, two or three of my uncles had, uh, when they moved to the U.S., had landed in Colorado. One of them was a state senator in Colorado. Wow. Uh, and, yeah, and and then turned into you know he he became the ambassador of, of, of Bahrain for a few years, and then another one was a was an amazing school teacher. And so they just kind of you know they they landed there, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, every summer we would go, we had a home there and every summer we would go and we would live in the neighborhood for a couple of months with all the other kids. So um, it just was natural. We were there and it was natural that we would stay there, you know? And so I ended up going to this public high school. My brother and sister, younger, ended up going to a private high school. Um, I'm I'm so not sure why my my parents decided to put me in the public high school and them in the private, but whatever. Um, I I feel... (laughs) 
maybe it, it lent a little bit more to, to sort of my, uh, my personality and my aggressiveness. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so yeah, I was in, in, in Colorado and my English was very good. I, I, I went to an international school and everything was taught in, you know, the British tongue. So I had a, while my English was very good, I had a very distinct, um, which, by the way, comes back when I speak with all of my friends, anyone that's foreign or, or really anyone that like that, that my friends from growing up, um, it, it kind of comes back. And, and our daughter makes fun of me. She's like, where'd that come from? You know, but it was a very typical um, international school accent. And only people who have gone to international schools will understand that. Yeah. But, but with a with a touch of Arabic. So ours were rolled and like. Every uh, every letter was pronunciated, so I would say letter, not letter. You know, like so. So yeah, exactly. uh, it was a little bit more, a little bit more, more proper than what I sound. <laughs> what I sound you know, right. The, one of my best friends in college went to international school in Jordan. Um, yeah. she's Jordanian, and the way she would like, she would talk perfect English, but exactly what you're saying it was a very particular accent. And then she would also introduce Arabic words, like she would say instead of but, she'd say bus. Yeah, like, just like add in random international words and I was like okay I guess I'm picking up it's so funny I do that all the time like I'll say something that I'll be like yalla and then I'm like no 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 one understands what that means unless they speak Arabic and you're right but you know it's like best and then people no 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 they don't so it's funny and I it happens a lot for me when I get tired when I'm tired like a lot of a lot of the language comes back and you know it's uh it's but it's a very interesting, it's a very seamless transition. Like I can go Arabic into English easily, like easily just back and forth. Uh, and you're right. It is like a mixture, <laughs> a mixture uh, in, in, the, in the conversations. So Carla, what was the hardest part about transitioning into your life as a teenager in the U.S.? Yeah, you know, look, I would tell you the hardest part was, um, you know, with the backdrop of everything I just told you, uh, I think the hardest part was the balance between how much do you keep of who you are mm-hmm. and how much do you shed so that you can assimilate. You know, it's really, really hard. Um, it's hard. That balance is hard. And it's even harder when you're young, right? Because you so badly want to be a part of a community. And depending on what kind of a community you get dropped into, it, it, you know, you, you struggle with that. And so for me, that was the biggest probably struggle is how much of it do I just completely shed, right? Um, particularly because of what was going on at the time. And yeah. the fact that, that part was perceived as negative, mm-hmm. you know? And so that was probably the hardest part. And interestingly enough, it didn't feel hard at the very beginning. It just kind of was a decision. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be as American as I possibly can. And what did that mean? You know, what did it even mean? But, you know, I, I, I don't, and I don't quite even know, but I was pretty successful at, you know, making everyone think that I was from Denver, Colorado. And I was, you know, this nice, you know, white girl from there and everything was okay. And I, I, I passed and things were good and life was good. It wasn't until probably a few years later where I really, st- I mean, uh, you know, and I stopped talking to all my friends in the Middle East. I stopped wow. like speaking Arabic. Like I really, really was like, you know what? I want to, I want to be a part of this community. I want to be accepted. And it wasn't until several years later where I started actually talking about authenticity and leadership and authenticity and who you are. And I was like, what am I doing? Like I'm, I'm a total 
farce here by saying that, and I'm not behaving that way. And so it wasn't until then that I really kind of forced myself to say, you have a lot more to offer because of who you are and where you came from, not in spite of it. I love that. I'm like taking it in because so much of, I've, I've just lived through so much of that. Um, I, I realized at a certain point that there's this degree of otherness or foreignness that, that you have and you, you have to shed very quickly to get, to get accepted. Um, yeah. And for me, it actually showed up in so many different instances, but in particular in fundraising, because I yeah. couldn't raise money for the company unless I built this, this cultural bridge of like baseball and hunting and whatever, you know, those investors. Whatever you needed to, exactly. And I, I was like, I couldn't have been further removed from all of that. Um, but I, I dealt with a lot of these like identity issues and crises like, and, and feeling like I had to give up so much of myself to be successful. Um, and it's very hard to find that balance because you're right. I think people just don't, they just think of you as exotic and foreign otherwise, and yeah. they never really assimilate or accept you. Um, and so exactly that's right. that you have to do uh, regardless of what country you're from. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And then, you know, and then you layer on the <clears throat> circumstances of, you know, where I was, which was that there was a lot of anxiety around, you know, Arabs and Middle Easterners and all that kind of stuff that, that you really multiply that by however much you want to just, to just fit in, to just yeah. fit in. In fact, I, I distinctly remember a conversation in 2000 and I think it was 13, I had moved to back to Dubai um, when I was with PepsiCo. They asked me to become the uh, chief marketing officer for Middle East Africa. And I went back there and I was sitting with these dear friends of mine. We, when we were growing up, we had four of us, me, uh, a, a woman named Abir, another one named Leila, and one named Maya. We called ourselves Calm, C-A-L-M. And we were sitting down one day uh, and, and they were just like, what happened to you? Like what happened? You just kind of totally disappeared and we never heard back from you. They all stayed in touch. Mm-hmm. And I, it was like a real sort of moment of reckoning for me. And there were lots of tears and lots of emotions and lots of apologies on my part to say, you know, I feel really guilty that I just kind of left and I didn't, you know, that's how I, that's how I survived. And I, I'm, I, I'm deeply sorry for that, but uh, it, it is, it impacts me all of your life, not just the business aspects of your life. I love that. So it took, it took time and it took confidence and it took courage to kind of come back to yourself and integrate it into, into, I guess the, the American persona that you had built. Um, So that's, you know, those are some of the friction points and difficulties and challenges, but I'm also curious, do you think that being an immigrant helped you in your career? And if so, in what way? Oh my gosh. It, It helped me in so many ways. Uh, and, and some ways I didn't, honestly, I don't even think about, right? Some ways are just kind of like, it. it's what we bring to the table, right? It's kind of different perspectives. And, you know, someone's looking at it this way, you look at it a different way. And those things are intangible. You know, you don't really, really deliberately think about it. But look, I would tell you that any immigrant that I've, that I've known pretty much, who, who, by the way, either choicefully came here to the U.S., um, for school and then decided to stay and wanted to make a life and start a company like yourself and be really successful or people like me who probably would have ended up in the U.S. eventually, right, for university. But the way that I came in was just kind of like super violent emotionally for me. Um, but I think what ends up happening is when you're here, 
you, you feel so lucky and fortunate that you're here and you look around the world and you say, wow, I, I would never have those opportunities in other places around the world. And so when you're here, I feel like you, 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 um, you become, you, you, failure is not an option. Failure is not an option because where do you go once you once you've decided that this place is going to be home and this is a land of opportunity, you can't go back. And so for me, I think it's helped me dramatically because I've wanted to succeed and I have um, more importantly than that, though, I have embraced everything that the U.S. has to offer in terms of that, that other that other places wouldn't, quite frankly, in terms of opportunities for me. And so I've created these opportunities for myself um, as a result of that. But I will also tell you that I've, I've, I feel like I've created opportunities for others um, that come behind me or that are around me or that, you know, have have similar stories to me because I understand how hard it is and I understand how important important it is for them to actually be successful and to live the American dream and to be here. So I think um, it's helped in, in so many ways, but, you know, I think you probably, if I say this, you'll probably be smiling quietly, but, you know, the other component of, I think, being an immigrant is there's so much culturally uh, for us that is tied into how our families feel about the work that we're doing and our success. And so for me, it's not just about can I be successful in business? And do I have a different point of view of everyone sitting around the room? And do I, you know, take in more than, you know, more than everybody else about what this country has to offer? And am I cognizant of it more than people who have grown up here and take it for granted? It's all of that. Plus this ability to make your family proud uh, is a, is a huge, huge component of, I think of immigrants, um, and well, and so, in our cultures, I think it might be different in others, but for sure, in our cultures, is huge. Yeah, I don't know that it's different in, in others. I mean, you know, I feel like, and maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm generalizing a little bit, but there is something like when you deliberately leave your home, whether mm-hmm. you've left because you have to, or you want to, or you need to, whatever it is. I feel like you want to make those people proud. And so uh, for me, it's been um, the appreciation of what the U.S. has to offer. Uh, I think immigrants um, take advantage of that more than people who live here, who just kind of take it for granted that they that they were born here, raised here. Yeah, it's the U.S. Yeah. I also think there's an element of just, and I talked to you about this a bit, like grabbing the opportunity with both hands and there's, there's also something about leaving your comfort zone and your home oh that God. your brain is like, I don't have a safety net. And even if you have, you know, some family and even if you have some friends and even if you go to a university that creates a great ecosystem around you in your head, you're still like, I have no safety net. And so it kind of makes you just run so fast towards any opportunity. Is that Failure is not an option. Like I said, failure is not an option. It's just, it's not, you know, like you, you do whatever you can to make sure that, that you're successful. And by the way, that includes taking jobs that you wouldn't normally take or like whatever it is, you know, to, 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 to take advantage of the opportunities that are provided to you, because what is your alternative? What is your alternative? Where do you go if if you don't make it? Well, when I go into my, you know how we all have these like uh, negative loops that we go into, yeah. like, 
oh no. And I, I typically go into, I'm going to end up in my like teenage bedroom and you know, my mom and dad are going to be like, why aren't you married or whatever it is. And, and yeah, so, so, and I'm like, no, there, there's no way I must, I must try harder. Like there's no way that that happens. Yeah. So. I, I just I understand. Yeah. And it's said, look, it's that th- those parts. Um, I, I, again, I think though, though, those are, the, you know, that's one of the many, many reasons why I think that, you know, being, being an immigrant, you just, it, you're, you're a hustler. You are a hustler. Okay. Like, again, I, I don't think I've ever seen uh, or, or, or met an immigrant that doesn't hustle and not hustle in the, in the, you know, in, in a negative term, but literally like seizes opportunities. It's like, oh, that, okay, I'm in, you know, yeah. and it, you know, at work, it manifests itself for, for years and years and years where, you know, people didn't want to take a role or whatever. And I put my hand up. Now I think inherently that's a little bit of my character, but I would, you know, oh, opportunity. Okay. <laughs> you know, not ego driven, but opportunity challenge. Cool. You know? Well, I mean, if you, if you don't, if you're not that type of personality, then you wouldn't end up in the U.S. or wouldn't stay in the U.S. You'd go back to your comfort zone, right? So I think it kind of goes hand in hand. So what do you think is a misconception that people have about immigrants? Uh, and if you, if you could, if, if it wasn't me that you were talking to, but someone who doesn't think that, you know, immigrants are great for, for any country, um, what would you maybe say to them? Look, I mean, I think a, a big misconception of uh, of immigrants is that we're just here, you know, let's talk about the U.S., is that we're just here to kind of drain the U.S. and then head back, you know, to wherever we came from, you know, or that, um, or that we'll never belong, right? Like we'll never, we, we never really truly want to be American or want to be here. Um, I would say those are probably the two things which couldn't be farther from the truth because again, most people that come here come because it's a land of opportunity, because it's a, a place where they can, you know, really make a difference. And by the way, continue to help their either family or their communities back home. Sure. They're here and they've embraced the U.S. as home. Um, and I think that, you know, the, 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 you know, those kinds of misconceptions, I think just, they don't help immigrants, um, assimilate and, you know, and become a part of a community when the folks around them are thinking, well, they're just going to be here for a few years or they're draining our resources. They suck everything out from, you know, things that could be ours and they're taking them over and stuff like that. There's no immigrant that, you know, comes to the United States, at least from a business standpoint and says, oh, I'm going to take over from all the Americans. I mean, it's, there's, they come because it's opportunity and because everyone can be successful. And so the notion that we're only here for a little bit and we're trying to take opportunity from everybody else and that, you know, we don't really love the U.S. is, uh, to me, is a prime misconception. Just because someone comes from a different place or has a different accent or looks differently from you doesn't mean they love this place any less. To the contrary. Instead, it's like we we both just talked about how much we wanted to assimilate, right? Like it's not like we we came in and we're like, okay, we're going to stay the same way we are. Yeah. Uh, that and it's, by the way, it's hard. It's hard in the U.S. to not, you know, uh, uh, participate in the in the in the community. It's very hard. It's a it's a very lonely place to to be if you know if people around you don't want it because there's a lot of misconception and there's a lot of fear of immigrants, mm-hmm. and so if you don't assimilate, it's even harder. And so yeah, this notion that like we don't want to be a part of this you know, this country or the communities that we settle in, I think is, is just, uh, is, is ridiculous. Yeah. 
What do you think is the relationship between immigration and diversity? Oh, I mean, I think they're, you know, I, I don't want to say they're one and the same, but I think they're intricately, intricately linked. Um, I think that, um, you know, uh, most people, um, you know, when they think of diversity, they think of it as, you know, someone, the color of someone's skin or, you know, um, mostly I would tell you, uh, it, you know, or someone's heritage. There are a lot of, um, and this is the, this is the concern I have and the, and the reason why I have such a passion on this topic is because I do think that a lot of immigrants, when they end up coming to the U.S., they create such a uh, assimilation factor that they become an invisible minority. People don't even know. I mean, for years and years and years until I spoke about my story and told people where I was from, people thought I was a nice Greek, you know, white girl from, you know, whatever, wherever you, you name the suburb, you know, and so, um, or Italian or whatever. Like I, 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 as my, as my black friends like to say, I'm white passing and it's true, you know? And so I think that a lot of immigrants who change their accents on purpose to, you know, to survive and assimilate and who don't have anything visibly on their self to show that they're different, they become, you know, they, they're at the risk of becoming seen as everybody else when they are diverse and they do bring a totally different perspective to a room. And, you know, they are just as diverse as someone who does have a different skin color or who has a different religion or who has a different ethnicity. Um, and so I think they are integrally linked. And I, I, I feel like that's why it's so important to have the conversation. Look, they come from, I mean, for me, you know, even when I think about how I tell stories, for example, I tell stories coming from the depth of my experiences. You know, when you are, you know, 15 years old and told that you are not going back home, and you've got to figure out how to make a life for yourself. And, and let me be clear. I grew up in a privileged household. I did not want for anything or need for anything, quite frankly. I was very fortunate. But you move to the U.S. and your parents know nobody and there's no network and there's no connection, right? And so, you know, my everything I do when I tell stories comes from such a place of humanity and empathy because I know my experience. And so for me, immigration and diversity are very closely linked. No, what I think is the kind of upside of being an immigrant who could go incognito and act, you know, quote unquote, like the white girl from Colorado or, you know, any other part. <laughs> I, I resonate with that. I still have a bit of an accent, probably more than you, but but I think I could, you know, I could, I could pass and sort of assimilate and that's the upside of it. And I think it does give us an advantage and, you know, some level yeah. of privilege that, that others don't have. The downside of the fact that we don't look different is that, as you said, you kind of become an invisible minority. You are different, but there's this, this growing gap between your identity and what you present to the world that Absolutely. creates all sorts of other, you know, difficulties and frustrations. Absolutely. And look, it's, it's an, it's, it's, um, I mean, I could talk about this one forever because it really, it really does. And this is when you wake up one day and you're like, what am I doing? You know, what, what am I doing? And, and you want people so badly to know that you're, that you are different and not, you don't want them to know that you're different just to say, Hey, I'm different because it's, you know, the thing du jour to say is I'm different or I'm other, but you really are different. And, and that difference is actually something that, 
if embraced, could be seen as such a positive for an organization and for a team and for from a leadership perspective. So I think that, um, yeah, it, and that goes back to the first question you asked, right, on this or this, you know, one of the questions you asked on the balance and how do you balance? It's very hard, even today. You know, sometimes I think, how much should I go in on this conversation? Because I have had people who say, you know, or when they know that I'm an immigrant, particularly that I'm Middle Eastern, who behave slightly differently around me. It, it's not a, it's not a like, okay, now I'm going to put a wall and be different from Carla. But there is like, you know, there is a little bit, there are micro moments, right? Or, yeah. you know, where, where people will say things like, uh, you know, we'll all go out to, you know, dinner or whatever. And people will say, well, um, what can I get you to drink? Because I'm sure you don't drink. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. mm-hmm. well, thank you for saying that because that's out of respect. I get it. But my, my last, my married name is a Muslim name, but I'm not Muslim. Yeah. And so, you know what? No, I do drink. I do actually. So I don't know that that, and again, in fairness to those people, they're just trying to be respectful, but, you know, never before they knew I was Middle Eastern did I ever get that, you know? It was like, here, shove a beer in Carla's hand, you know? So, I think, <laughs> so you know, um, it's a very interesting, I think, you know, so you, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic, always is. For sure. For sure. If I hear another vampire joke, uh, <laughs> I will. <laughs> Seriously. What is it? What is it with people that they feel the need to like immediately make a vampire joke when they hear where I'm from? Exactly. You're like, wow, I'm an accomplished entrepreneur. You know, like I have all these other talents. I, and yet the only thing you could say when you found out where I was from is, you're a vampire or something about a vampire. I'm the only person I've met from Transylvania and they like make their eyes just grow and it's like, whoa, you know? Okay. <laughs> and so to your point, it's easier, right? And again, if you, like I said before, if you, if you, if you said anything to that person or those people, they'd be like, oh, I was just like, I, I didn't mean it. You know, like I, yeah. well, was, of course, just a joke, just a joke, just but, a joke. but they don't realize how that joke kind of sits with you. Oh, sure. And so as a result of that, you go, okay, you know what? Increasingly, I'm not even going to tell people I'm from there. I'm just going to say I live in New York City. You're not lying when you say I live in New York City. You're just not telling the full truth. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Well, in university, um, someone said, where are you from? And I said, Romania, because I started saying Romania versus Transylvania, then whatever. So, and and this guy who um, was a fellow student said to me, oh, my maid is from Romania. And I was like, Okay, <laughs> you know, it's just like a moment of, I don't even know what to say to that. Like, you know, uh, and you realize you're you're in his head. You're in like a a box, and yeah. that's his affiliation, and that's what you have to kind of bridge for people. That's right. so, anyway, my my last question, Carla, is you're obviously a incredible storyteller. You're a brand leader. You're a marketer. Um, when it comes to immigrants how do you or when it comes to you as an immigrant how do you think of telling stories from that perspective you touched a little bit on this but then also when it comes to embracing the diversity that comes from immigrants how would you advise other cmos and marketers to to think about 
this, this, what did you call it? The invisible minority. Yeah, look, I mean, I think um, I, I, I touched on it a little bit, like you said. I think for me, um, telling uh, stories through humanity and through my kind of deep experiences and drawing on them, I think is what I, what I, what I bring. By the way, I think everybody brings their own experiences, but I think when you have experiences like the ones that I've had, or quite frankly, any other, uh, you know, Im- immigrant stories, I think you, you, they just get a little bit deeper. They're a little bit deeper. They come from a little bit more of a soulful, thoughtful place because you. You have experienced those personally, right? And so, um, you know, empathy and storytelling has always been also really big for me. And I think a lot of that, again, is because I don't, you know, what's the definition of empathy very simply is putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. And so for me, because no one could ever put themselves in my shoes, I work really, really hard at trying to understand what are other people's stories, because I know how badly I wanted people to know my story, you know, and to appreciate my story and to give me credit for my story. And so personally, and so I take that with me into work. So empathy and storytelling is really, really big for me personally, um, because, because of that. And so I approach it in those, in those two ways. I mean, obviously as a, as a leader, as a marketer, we do it with data, we do it with science behind us, etc. But there is an element that, you know, comes from inside of you based on the, you know, the experiences that you've had that I just think becomes much more meaningful and poignant, I think, in storytelling. You know, in regards to what I would tell people um, in, in terms of, you know, immigrants and how to embrace them and how to think about them from a diversity standpoint is think about them in exactly the same way that you think about others um, that, 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 that will be visibly diverse to you, right? I think you have to think about them that way because they do bring a diversity of thinking, a diversity of where they've been in the world. They layer conversations and they layer dynamics that, you know, that, that, you may not have around the table. And so I would say treat them very much like you treat um, others of diverse, you know, representation around your table because they're, they're important. They're really, really important. And again, they may not visibly be different to you, um, but their experiences and where they come from are equally as important. And that's not, by the way, to at all deny anybody else you know, from from a diversity perspective, the importance to the contrary, actually, I think when all diverse voices rise, everybody rises. And so we're we're kind of in this together. Um, And every dynamic is different, right? My dynamic as an Arab immigrant is very different from the dynamic of someone who moves to the US from Nigeria, Uh, very different from someone who moves to the US, you know, from from Europe. So I think that, it's just that those are different perspectives that I think also should be heard, not to the detriment of others, but that also should have a seat at the table. It's not a zero sum game. It's and not. We're, we're stronger when we stand together. Um, yeah. I think creating true inclusiveness means really listening to all the voices and making sure that we're especially giving attention to the ones that, that don't have um, as much of the limelight. So, Absolutely. Um, and and the one thing I would say, Anda, for example, is, is, is for people like myself who are in uh, roles of privilege, right? For every, for every, you know, I mean, look, I earned the roles I'm in, but I am in a role of privilege. Um, I shouldn't just be looking at how to raise the voices of immigrants. I should be looking at how to raise the voices of all people of color 
and all people that are other around me. And that's what I try to do, right? So for me, it's not an exclusive group. It's literally a matter of taking everybody we have and putting them at the table and giving them a seat at the table so that they can impact the business in a different way. Um, and that to me is what's what's most critical out of all of this you know, conversation around immigration and diversity and how they come together. That's why I said they're, they're kind of, for me, you know, not one and the same, but they're so, so close to one another in terms of, uh, in terms of us feeling like we're a part of a broader, you know, community of, you know, of whether it's people of color or whether it's, you know, again, immigrants coming to get, and by the way, sometimes they're one and the same coming yeah, together, totally. and actually lifting all of our, all of us up, I think I is really important. I was going to say in response to you that, um, I think all diversity was once immigrant diversity, mm, right? All, all the, almost all the other, uh, as we kind of define it in these conversations, um, initially came from immigrants. Even, you know, white people initially were the other, um, especially in this country. So, so it's, it's just interesting to see how that conversation around um, immigrants and diversity evolves. But I think we've offered people a really important perspective here today. It's not a conversation that is ending by any means. I think we have to continue this conversation. Um, but I just want to thank you for being so open and genuine um, and sharing your story and your opinions on this really, really important topic. Oh, thank you so much. It's such an important topic and I'm so glad you're taking the lead on, uh, on highlighting the stories and, and giving people things to really think about.